My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends, I just want to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. There are two kinds of COVID winners. There's the predictable ones that you can see coming. And then there are the counterintuitive ones that took us all by surprise. It's a not so hot day where the Dow dipped 205 points. S&P declined 0.65%. NASDAQ lost 1.27%. I think it's important to go over the companies that have shocked us here with their outperformance because I think they can continue to shock. The obvious winners were, were uh, obvious. We know people are hanging out at Facebook while they peruse Apple's App Store, uh, order things from Amazon, search on Google. These companies, by the way, are all going to go to Capitol Hill tomorrow where they'll face a hostile audience because they're simply doing too well. I didn't take a chance to figure out that the shutdown would force people to use the Internet. If I weren't Jimmy Chill in real life, I'd be jealous of the Titans, even though their CEOs are about to be drawn and quartered by the House Judiciary Subcommittee on Antitrust. I'm torn on this because while these big tech companies, uh, their platforms arguably have way too much market power. (laughs) No kidding, right? They got there by being really good at what they do. And that's capitalism. And they've all done a much better job of responding to the pandemic than uh, the government. But forget the obvious COVID winners. That's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the big surprises, the things that people are doing when you can't go to the movies or a ball game or ship your kids off to summer camp or to fly to Europe or take a cruise. These are shockers because it's never happened before. A recession that never had these stocks go higher. So I've got the top 10 for you. 10 stocks that are in fuego. Because they, are, they were able to come out of nowhere and capitalize on the worst pandemic in 100 years. And that's a, I'm not talking about Lululemon or Tesla, which were both hotter than hot even before the outbreak. I'm talking about real stunners. Stunner number one is Polaris, PII. Here's a company that makes all sorts of off-road vehicles, snowmobiles. And just this morning, it reported a monster quarter. Yeah, it was one of the hottest summers on record, so it wasn't a big uh, snowmobile. But wow, ATVs? I mean... By the way, this is not even the craziest part of the pandemic paradox. Normally, when we go into recession, Polaris gets crushed because ATVs and snowmobiles are the ultimate discretionary spending. Scott won. The CEO thought this was going to happen again. This time, though, Polaris delivered much better than expected numbers. And even Scott admitted to me that he hadn't seen it coming. Turns out that riding an ATV is the ultimate pandemic pastime. Think about it. You're outdoors. You wear gloves. Hey, and you got helmets and helmets. Well, they're much better than even my incredibly cool Honeywell mask. And by the way, of course, you're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, this is this is pandemic heaven. It sure beats sitting in the Miami Marlins dugout. If you believe, as I do, that we're still many months away from a vaccine, you stick with P.I.I. Number two. We just got a great quarter from Sherwin-Williams. Apparently, people like to paint their homes when they've got nothing else to do. I'd rather hammer nails into my hands, but I'm not exactly Mr. Home Improvement. Again, in a normal recession, you don't bother fixing up your house. Why? Because it's an expense in a normal recession. Houses lose value. Not this one, though. Home values keep rising as people flee the cities for suburbs and the exurbs. D.R. Horton, the big home builder, put an amazing set of numbers last night. When you can sell your home, buying Sherwin-Williams paint is a great investment. Same goes for Sherwin-Williams, the stock. Third is Mattel. 
Now, we had CEO Enon Cries on last night, and he talked about skyrocketing Barbie sales, big, big numbers. But what I found most interesting wasn't Barbie, although the numbers were incredible. It's that Uno, Uno is now the number one biggest board game in the country. Uno. And there's like 70 different kinds of Uno. Hey, we've got this one shipped, by the way. Uh, which is really cool. We got a whole bunch of things on ship that came in like within an hour. And, um, you know, look, Uno, I mean, I, I, I know people, this is like a, what, people have been playing Uno all their lives. And here it is. It just suddenly got back, you know, and I know why. Because you only need two people to play Uno. So what does that make? It makes the ideal quarantine pastime. This is it. This is what you do when you're being quarantined. Number four is Wayfair. Yes, Wayfair. Now, I've had my doubts about this online furniture retail for ages, and the company was on the ropes going into the pandemic, but it's now making a fortune. People need to set up their home offices. Nobody wants to go to a furniture store when they can order off the web. So Wayfair stock is on fire. It's going from 21 in March, when it was in trouble, to the 220s, regularly making new highs during a recession. Exactly when you'd expect to be making new lows. Hey, speaking of the new low list, in every recession I can recall, you had to dump the RV stocks. Who the heck buys a motor home when the economy tanks? So Thor Industries gets the hammer. Two in one show. Now, though, there are so many rich people who want socially distanced vacations, and that means buying or renting expensive RVs, which is why Thor stock is flying. Six, the RV story is part of the great outdoors thesis, which brings us to Camping World, which we've liked. Many thought Marcus Lemonis's camping retailer was on death's doors. Uh-uh. Traders thought it would blow up during a recession. Turns out it did blow up from $3 to $36 because people love camping in the age of COVID. Seventh is tractor supply. Now, this was never a bad retailer. You can buy some nice Carhartt clothes. I like them. My wife hates them. And you can get some excellent stuff for your garden. But in a pandemic, gardening's like going to Disney World or even Paris, and not Paris Island. I see a lot of novice gardeners following Jimmy Chill on Twitter. They're getting the hang of it. Many of them are shopping at the gentleman farmer's home away from home, which is tractor supply. Lots of good pictures of my tomatoes coming up this weekend. Eighth, gardening newbies don't want to come up with anemic zucchinis or tomato plants that taste worse than you find at a convenience store. So they pour on the Scotch miracle Grill when no one's looking for a can't-miss garden. I know it's not exactly natural and organic. What is those blue crystals anyway? What's in them? But I just tell people, spray it at night and just tell them you got a real green thumb. And buy the stock. Ninth is Brunswick, the boating kingpin. I know a guy who bought a Boston Whaler for 40 Gs, and then immediately someone offered him 30 Gs just to rent it for the summer. Why? The renter had three boys who were driving him crazy because there's nothing to do. Boating is a terrific time suck, and it's added advantage of being a lot of fun. We take out my 17-foot Boston Whaler, and we do nothing. Sometimes we bring fishing tackle. Sometimes we just bring sunscreen. We never bring beer. Again, in a normal recession, you'd be shorting Brunswick until the cows come home. But this is no normal recession, and this stock's unstoppable. If you short it, you kind of got the no country for old men bolt in the forehead treatment. Woo. I think Brunswick's a beast going into earnings on Thursday, beast being positive. Paradox number 10, Boston Beer, best known as the brewer behind Sam Adams. Right now, though, they're making a fortune from truly spiked sh- seltzer. Forget about the lemonade. You can't find it. These things are just they're flying off the shelves. We couldn't find any anywhere. It, it, it's like White Claw last summer. In a recession, liquor sales tend to do better. But you might have thought Boston Beer would suffer this time because all the bars are just closed. Nope. Turns out people who are stuck at home 
like to drink, and they especially like truly. The bottom line, coming into the pandemic-induced recession, you might have expected these 10 stocks, all 10 of these, to be horrendous. But so far, they've been some of the biggest winners. I think this pandemic paradox can keep winning as long as we get another meaningful stimulus package, which is sure like we're going to in the not-too-distant future. I'd like to go to Michael in Massachusetts. Michael! Booyah, Big Jim. Booyah, Michael. NVIDIA is trading at over 50 times this year's earnings. Is NVIDIA a good buy at this, at this price, or should I wait for a pullback? If, if so, what would be the good, pri- um, uh, um, a good entry price? Thank you, Jim. Okay, so NVIDIA is a stock. Look, AMD just reported an amazing quarter tonight. All right. And NVIDIA and AMD are pretty much in the same court. So NVIDIA is going to be up a lot tomorrow. And I don't like to buy NVIDIA stock when it's up a lot. We've liked this stock since the hundred. Actually, we liked it since the 50s. But we've been buying my travel trust in the hundreds. I, I, you got to let it cool off. It does have swoons. And when you get swoons, that's when you buy NVIDIA. Bye, bye, bye. And NVIDIA, my dog, is 13. And yes, he does have some sickness. OK, so I want people to know uh, Let's just hope. Okay, let's go to Eric in Michigan. Eric. Hey, Jimmy, how you doing? I am doing well. How about you? Fantastic. Thank you for asking. Hey, just wanted to ask you about one of our uh, hometown companies here in Michigan. We've got uh, Steelcase uh, ticker. I is, kept, you uh, know, F- Herman Miller is F- the better of those two. Steelcase is just okay. It's actually been a disappointment ever since the game public. Herman Miller's better. I like. Yeah, yeah, honestly, that's the way I would go if you want that Steelcase. They just don't have, well, I'm going to use a real technical term that I learned at Goldman Sachs, mojo. Martin, <laughs> Martin in New Jersey, Martin. Oh, uh, hello, Mr. Kramer, uh, hey, Jim Kramer. Uh, first, let me say I've been following you uh, with regularity since the days of uh, <laughs> when you had a partner. <laughs> oh, Larry Kudlow, Absolutely. <laughs> Cudlow and Kramer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I knew him. I met him a couple of times uh, when one of my uh, clients uh, was trying to hire him for his uh, brokerage firm. Okay. But you've done a wonderful job. Thank you. I have one preliminary question, though, before, before we get to PetMed. How come you went to Harvard instead of Columbia? I turned down Columbia. I don't know. It was a time of uh, my parents thought it was too um, wild a place for me. I'd never been. I never went to Harvard before I I accepted it. I just went. I don't know. Pictures look good. That's what you used to do in the old days. It's too expensive. But, you know, my folks folks thought that New York was too dangerous for me. I listened to them. I see. (laughs) You know, I mean, they were still living in the Columbia 68. You know, that Mark Rudd Columbia, whatever the heck that was. Bad. I'm sorry. Go ahead. The reason I asked is because by that time, uh, I had graduated Columbia Law School in 61. Great by law that school. time, everybody, and including you, I'm sure, knew about Graham Dodd. and Absolutely. So let's make money off that. Let's make some money. What stock we got? PetMed. Oh, PetMed's a winner. We know we like the pet thesis because pets are treated like humans. We like IDEX Labs, and we also, well, I got to tell you, I like this Chewy. See, the boxes everywhere. All right, these winners took us by surprise. I keep, you know what? They're not done, okay? Look at these. These are the paradoxes of the pandemic. All right, uh, oh, man, many times. August is the month the pandemic really hits. I'll explain why and what it means for the economy. 
Then gold prices have soared to record highs as investors search for places to park their money. But could the move continue? I'm going off the charts to find out what's ahead of the precious metal. And as more people head back into the office, change is coming to the vertical commute. I'm talking to the elevator maker Otis to find out how it's helping people come back to work safely. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. You want to know the truth about the pandemic? It really hasn't hit our economy yet. After a terrifying moment in March and April, the stimulus kicked in and our economy did come roaring back in May and most of June. When the banks reported, I kept thinking we'd see some meaningful claims for forbearance, but it just didn't happen. The banks took some big loan loss charges, though. I thought some of them even seemed excessive. I mean, how badly was Goldman Sachs really hurt that they took a $1.59 billion credit provision for the relatively small loan portfolio? I figured they're being too conservative. Then last Friday, American Express reported some solid numbers, with the exception of corporate travel and entertainment. The big shocker, the strength in small business. Over and over on that totally upbeat call, we heard about how people wanted to spend. It almost sounded like the pandemic was over. Except it's not over. In fact, from an economic perspective, it's barely gotten started. After speaking to House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy last night, I believe it will be difficult for the Democrats and Republicans to reach a compromise in the next round of stimulus. There are many points of contention, but what has me most worried is the GOP's insistence on cutting jobless benefits from $600 to $200 a week. That's the additional on top of regular. We need this stimulus package yesterday because the last one's about to run out. Yep, August could be ugly. Why? First, because the $600 per week jobless benefits were incredibly successful propping up the economy, keeping people at home where they can't spread COVID. These checks stop coming next week. When that happens, you're going to see a horrific contraction in consumer spending. Now, we got double-digit unemployment in this country, but it hasn't really hurt the consumer because of these weekly checks. That's about to change. Another one-off $1,200 check just isn't going to be enough. Second problem, rent. When COVID hit and many people stopped paying rent, landlords were able to take the security deposit. And that was April and May's money. It, it allowed the landlords to pay their mortgages. Banks offered forbearance if you applied it, but very few did. Why? I think that extra $600 a week meant that many people who lost their jobs could still cover the rent. Now that that money's running out, and after a brief respite to protect tenants, we're going to see a ton of evictions and a lot of good mortgages turning bad. That will cause huge problems for the banks, which is why I think the stocks trade so poorly. I'd be very careful of any real estate investment trust, even though they're down a lot, that has brick-and-mortar retail space or apartments. Third, a great thing against COVID is a terrible thing for business, social distancing. Small businesses that own stores or restaurants have now figured out that they can't really make money while complying with social distancing. Even if you have a lemonade stand in front of your place, of course, spike lemonade, people congregate around it, and that's the end for that. you got to close it. I think that... Uh, 
A lot of the businesses went through their savings in July and will now have to close. You can see millions of out of work from this. Even if Congress re-ups the Paycheck Protection Plan, uh, I, I bet many small businesses will be hesitant to take that money because it's not necessarily enough anymore. I know social distancing is essential for public health, but it's, it is an anathema to small business. I wish the government would just provide business interruption insurance for the duration until we got that vaccine. Finally, while I think the Republican stimulus proposal is not enough, a mediocre bill today, frankly, is better than a good bill three weeks from now. It will hurt if unemployment checks get cut from 600 a week to 200 a week. But what's even worse is that the jobless get nothing except for the regular plan until Congress comes to a deal. There could be a two or three week hole. Put it all together and August is the month where the rubber hits the road. We delayed the economic impact. And unless the Democrats and Republicans act quickly, it's about to hit us like a freight train. In other words, because of this, it might not be a bad idea to lighten up on the recovery stocks and stick with the Kramer COVID-19 index equities and stick with Kramer. Over the last few weeks, the price of gold has exploded higher. Straight up to 1,055 today. That's higher than at any other point in history except 2011. That was during the debt crisis. Remember that? The debt ceiling, it looked like the U.S. government might default on its obligations. Back then, the stock market and the dollar collapsed. So investors swapped into gold safe haven, a stable store of value in an uncertain moment. This time's different. The stock market's not too far from its all-time highs, and nobody's worried about the United States defaulting, even as our government borrows trillions upon trillions of dollars. So what's going on here? We're going to explain this move, which is why we're going off the charts with Carly Garner. She's that brilliant technician who's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading, the author of Higher Probability Commodity Trading, and she's our resident commodities expert. Get a better read on gold. And by the way, because of your popular quest, silver too, because that's on fire. Back at the beginning of June, Garner predicted that gold would have one more major leg higher. She saw it trading up to $1,800 an ounce or maybe even $1,900. But then she was worried that the rally would run out of steam. She was right about the upside, though it turns out 1900 was much of a ceiling. However, Garner points out that gold tends to be the type of market that looks great right until it falls apart. Booms eventually turn into busts because at the end of the day, this is still a commodity. Now, you might think that this move in gold is uh, all about the pandemic, that investors are looking for a safe haven at a time when we get hit with another outbreak every time we try to reopen the economy. That's part of it. But Garner thinks this is mainly because the dollar between Congress authorizing trillions in additional borrowing with more to come and the Federal Reserve printing vast sums of money. We've seen a substantial devaluation in the dollar. That matters because gold is denominated in dollars. Don't forget, it also helps gold that interest rates are so low. It's not a good competition. All right, now take a look at this daily chart of gold versus the dollar index. This will make a lot of things clear to you. It measures our currency against a basket of foreign ones. Historically, gold and the greenback trade in opposite directions. But we had a weird moment earlier this year where they were in lockstep, okay? I mean, that was kind of crazy, uh, through the March lows into May. Lockstep is not supposed to happen. Then June came along and things went back to normal. As the dollar, which is the green line, plunged, okay, precious metals were higher. That's supposed to happen. Garner believes we've now reached the point where so many traders have jumped on board uh, this negative correlation bandwagon that it's pushed both gold and the greenback to overextended and therefore precarious levels. This is too extended and this is too extended. 
If the dollar can keep falling, she thinks gold can keep rising. But that has become a mighty big if for this run. Now I want you to check out this daily chart of the dollar index on its own. Right now, it's trading right above a major floor of support at 93. Meanwhile, the relative strength index, or RSI, and the Williams percentage R oscillator, and those are both key important momentum indicators, both show that the dollar's oversold. Okay, so you got the dollar oversold, really oversold. Uh, meaning it's come down too far too fast. So you could argue it's due for a bounce. That's typically what happens. But Gardner points out that 93 is still pretty high on an historical basis. If the dollar index holds above 93, she says gold's finished. If it breaks down below that level, she thinks the next stop could be 2018 lows of 88. Gold can have another leg higher, maybe a big one. I know that's problematic then because it says it could be big either way. But so let's keep delving into this. I want to zoom out and look at the monthly chart of gold. The last time the precious metal exploded higher like this in July of 2011, the rally went nearly parabolic. Then we got that blow off top in August as the debt ceiling crisis was resolved. If that pattern holds, Garner says the gold market's likely in the process of setting up a reversal. Although, again, gold won't peak until the dollar bottoms. That's the takeaway of this. Still, it's pretty over what? The relative strength index in the monthly chart is approaching 83, which is very high. The Williams R, uh, percentage R oscillators almost maxed out at 99. I mean, that's just way too high. Garner points out that these levels are totally unsustainable over the long run, just totally. But in the short run, they can convert even the most bearish of bears. For example, if you sold gold when the RSI went above 80 in 2011, and you can see this right here, when RSI went above 80, well, uh, you missed a $300 gain before the peak, all right? And that's, you know, you wanted to make that, get that money. And it's not just 2011. Garner's noticed that the precious metal tends to rally $300 to $400 right before prices implode. Wow. Problem is, she's not where, sure exactly where we are in the pattern. If it looks like the peak in 2008, then gold could rally to 1980, right here, okay, uh, or 2000 before it runs out of steam, up just 1% or 2% from here, not worth being involved. But if this is a 2011 situation, Garner could see gold soaring to 2,250 or even 2,300 before it peaks. That's a fabulous 15% to 18% move. At the moment, she thinks the former situation is more likely, but if we get one more massive run, you need to understand that it'll be likely to be a quick probe higher that doesn't last very long. When a gold boom goes bust, it gets really ugly. Once the meltdown starts, Garner thinks we can trade down to 1525 or 1450. I mean, you may not mind that. Because if you like gold like I do, you may just say, okay, that's the price of entry, uh, maybe down to 1300 uh, If we go all the way down to the uptrend support, 1300 would be obviously painful, but I believe the 10% of your assets should be in gold. One more thing. The August gold options expired today, and speculators will be forced out of the August gold futures by the end of the week. Garner points out that these expirations can produce some wild action, often a major extension of the previous trend, followed by a big reversal. And this thing about oil, right? Remember when oil went to minus 37? That'd be a rapid rally and then a sharp decline. So I need you to watch out. And I've been really bullish on gold, so I even myself am tempering tempering my feeling. All right, now how about silver? After lagging gold for most of March and April, silver's been playing catch-up in recent months, to the point where it's now rallying harder than gold. Does that mean silver's a better investment? Not so fast. The current gold-to-silver ratio is just above $80, okay? Uh, meaning it takes 80 ounces of silver. I mean, I'm sorry, it's just 80. Use that. It takes 80 ounces of silver to buy one ounce of gold. In March, it was 130 ounces. Historically, it tends to hover around 70. So Garner thinks silver still has some room to play catch-up, but not, not, not too much longer. But, and this again, a big but. That doesn't necessarily mean that silver will go up. The gold-to-silver ratio is all relative. So if gold starts declining, silver just needs to decline less to keep closing that cap. That cap. On the other hand, 
If the dollar breaks down, then Garner would expect silver to rally even harder than gold. I know many of you are betting on this. Okay, take a look at this silver chart. It makes sense. Silver is an industrial metal with more practical uses than gold. And while gold's pressing toward its all-time highs, silver's nowhere close to that. It peaked at 50 bucks in 2011. It's now only at 24. Garner doesn't know if we'll see 50 announced again in decades. That was a once-in-a-lifetime move. But if you want to bet on a quick run in the precious metals, silver's the way to go. Wow, that's different from me. Bottom line, the charges interpreted by Carly Garner suggest that the recent rallies in gold and silver are very precarious. She thinks they could both have one last leg higher, and it might even be substantial. But after that, she expects the precious metals to come plummeting back to earth. So please, don't try to trade this unless you're very nimble. And if you want just a long-term investment here that's going to take into account all this stuff and more, just go buy Barrett Gold. Yes, run by Dr. Mark Bristow. The best miner in the world. Jeremy in New York, Jeremy. Booyah, Jimmy C. Yo. I I picked up shares of Kinross Gold Corp in the beginning of June and options for August 21st and November 20th. With recent gold prices hitting record highs, I want to know what you think about KGC. In the I, I like Kinross. I like Kinross very much. Now, be aware that we think that the chart action shows that we could be in for a bit of a hit. But I think Kinross is a terrific company, and I like your selection. Very smart. Gene in Indiana. Gene. Hi, Jim. I'm very interested in the future of electric vehicles and equipment, specifically lithium-ion-powered vehicles. Lithium batteries seem to be used in everything, EVs, 5G towers, material handling equipment. I'd like to know your thoughts on a lithium mining company, Abermile. Um, It's okay. I actually fear that that story that you just told could come unraveled. I don't think the Honeywell battery is is based on lithium. I'm not sure whether when we get to battery day uh, that the remarkable Elon Musk actually delivers a lithium battery. Let's stay away from that trade. If you have one more move up, and then I don't know. All right, sure, gold has hit a record high, but tonight's charter splits, these rallies in gold and silver have become very precarious, and that makes me concerned. Don't try to trade these, but remember, I like Barrick no matter what. Much more ahead. We've got small enclosed spaces, and they are petri dishes for the coronavirus. In office buildings, elevators are a necessity. So how does elevator producer Otis plan to make them safer and not petri dishes? I've got the CEO first. Then Centene just reported investors shrugged off the quarter. What does it mean for the managed care space? I'm going to talk to the CEO. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's decision of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. Earlier this year, the artist formerly known as United Technologies merged with Raytheon and split into three separate entities. Raytheon for aerospace and defense, supported this morning, Carrier for climate control, and Otis Worldwide for elevators. You might think it's a bad time for being in the elevator business. I mean, not a ton of new office or apartment construction, thanks, of course, to the pandemic. But if you bought Otis at around $44 after it spun off in early April, get this, you're up a quick 37%. That includes a terrific 3.4% run today after the company reported a far better than expected quarter and raised its full-year forecast. I think people fundamentally misunderstand this business. Otis makes 80% of its profits from the servicing of the elevators it sells. You need to think of it as a razor, razor blade situation. You want to get that elevator in and then service it. 
So let's take a closer look with Judy Marks, the president and CEO of Otis Worldwide, to find out more about the quarter and where her company is headed. Ms. Marks, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here. Well, first, congratulations. I went over your initial deck in February. Then I went over your last deck before this. And it was kind of a little bit schizophrenic because you didn't know where the bottom could be. But you shot the lights out first, what you thought you could do just a couple of months ago. What changed? Yeah, a few things changed. First and foremost, Jim, I got to give credit to the 69,000 Otis colleagues. You know, we have been in essential service since the COVID pandemic started, and our folks are continuing to service elevators globally and never stopped. But what changed is uh, we've seen improvement. China has recovered fully, and uh, we are going at full pace in China, which is the largest single elevator and escalator market in the world. We're seeing job sites reopen across the rest of the world. It was 65% of construction job sites were open in April. We're past 90% now with some limitations, obviously, in India and Southeast Asia. And then we just continue to drive improvements through productivity, labor productivity, uh, material productivity. And we were able to uh, drive some real margins expansion of 30 basis points this quarter. Very proud of the team. Well, when I speak to Greg Hayes this morning on United Technologies, now Raytheon, it's very clear to me that Otis, I'm not saying it was a starved division. I, I do think that it was a division that he knew if you had it, you could do so many things with it versus what's happening with, with, uh, with Pratt & Whitney. What's, what, what's hap- happening with all of the missiles, the defense stuff. It does seem that Otis is laser focused in different markets and much, much more able to, to bring out uh, earnings than previous. Yeah, I mean, focus matters. Uh, Greg Hayes knew this uh, when he he and the UTC board decided on the spin and the split, and it really matters uh, to us. We're agile. We make decisions quickly. We can make little things matter in volume and scale. I think what most people don't understand is we are the leading elevator and escalator designer, manufacturer, installer, and maintainer in the globe, 200 countries and territories around the world through 1,400 branch offices. And 2 billion people a day touch our product. We do move the world. And what's most important during this pandemic is we stay focused, we deliver essential services, and over half of our 2 million service portfolio, Jim, is in residential buildings where everyone is using elevators. We kept the hospitals running, we kept the metros running, and we, we helped the front line to the best of our ability. You know, Ms. Works, I was thinking about you uh, as I watched the dollar go down uh, against the euro. You have a huge maintenance European business, and a lot of it is residential. No one even knew about that before the split off. Yeah, of our 2 million portfolio, 1.1 million of the units that we maintain every day are in Europe, a lot in Southern Europe, but really spread throughout Europe. So about a quarter of our revenue comes in the U.S. dollar denomination. And then if you add the euro-denominated countries and China to that, you get to about two-thirds of our revenue. And we hope that we'll get tailwinds from that in the future. We've had headwinds through the first half in terms of FX, uh, but as, as the exchange rates change. But the other third is the real, the yuan in South Korea, the rupee. So we've got a mix. Um, it's a good diversity. We love the diversity of our mix, but we also have a mix in FX. I was quite surprised, and maybe that's just because of my lack of knowledge about the business, candidly, the resilience of the maintenance business. People do not let... Uh, safety. It does not take a vacation during a pandemic. 
Yeah, that's true. This is a tremendously resilient business and the maintenance portfolio, it's the jewel in our portfolio. Our business model is really simple. We design, develop, manufacture, and install elevators, go through a warranty period, and then we service these for decades. After about two decades, we modernize them again and continue to maintain them. And elevators are safe. Our founder in 1853 invented the safety brake. They are inherently safe. And again, 2 billion people a day use our product. And we ensure they're safe mechanically, electronically, and even from a cyber perspective. All right. So I do want to get a little existential for a second. I know they're safe, but I also feel like when I see people on an elevator, I take the next one. We're in a different period. I don't know whether people are ever going to come back to the big skyscrapers. I don't know whether I'll ever feel comfortable being in an elevator with other people again, maybe after wearing masks. What are you doing about safety and what are you doing about the existential crisis of work at home for Otis? So again, half our portfolio is residential, so at least half. And so that is keeping us extremely busy right now. There are challenges in the hospitality industry and retail and offices are starting to reopen. And for us, what's really important is to be there to support our customers. So we're working with customers on safe reopening. We've introduced touchless solutions. We've introduced purification solutions, uh, including uh, air purification solutions. We've introduced solutions for escalators so that we have the ability with antimicrobial handrails to keep the handrails safe. But in the touchless world, that seems to be where everyone's going, the the desire not to touch buttons. So we have an app that you can actually call the elevator. You can tell the elevator what floor you want to either originate or destinate on. We're working with gesturing technologies as well for the up and down. We're piloting that. And we've got a great product we call Compass uh, that is really a destination dispatch. When you walk in a building, and you, you tell it where you want to go, it then tells you which elevator to go to to control traffic flow. We've been adjusting traffic flow for our customers and office buildings as they've been welcoming back their tenants. We want to keep everybody safe and healthy. We've also engaged several universities and researchers to be able to study airflow and how we can do this better. It's a new world for all of us. We're there for our customers, and we're going to continue to be the thought leader. One last question. Uh, other than new construction in China, what's your take on a roadmap, and some in Europe, a roadmap for new construction in the United States? So there's residential construction is still going at a fairly right. good pace. And in most cities, construction itself was considered essential during the pandemic and continued. You know, it's early days to tell what's going to happen with non-residential and with some of the larger cities and the larger office buildings. But as soon as a building is open, that elevator's in use, and we have to keep it safe, we have to maintain it, and we have to repair it. So we think while the market may shift a little between residential, commercial, office, uh, retail, uh, it's a large portfolio for us across the globe, and we're looking forward to continued great results of productivity and making a difference moving people. Well, look, I'm looking forward to you coming back on every quarter because you did a magnificent job. And now we know how great Otis really is. We could never figure it out. I want to thank you so much to Judy Marks, president and CEO of Otis. Great to meet you. Thanks, Jim. Great to see you. Thank you. This is a great play on something you can't skimp on, which is the safety of an elevator. Bad Money is back after the break. It is time. It's time for the Lightning Round. 
And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Daddy, time for the lightning round. Chris, I'm going to start with Craig in Texas. Craig! Hey, what's going on, Jimmy? Too? How are you feeling today? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing wonderful. Wanted to give a shout-out to my brother, Ted, Shahid, Shahid, and Chris. I had a question about a stock. Uh, it was pretty, uh, pretty good in uh, June. It was uh, CBS. I don't know what to do with it before the... Uh, I, myself, am very uh, flummoxed by CBS. My chapel charts has a big position. It's been a very big disappointment. They report uh, first week of August, and they better deliver the numbers, or I think we may have to cut and move on after that horrible Walgreens report last week. Let's go to James in Virginia. James! Booyah! Professor Kramer. Good to talk to you. We came into 2020 with some thunder. I'm calling about Lockheed Martin, LMP. All right, so James Tackler reports the quarter. Initially, people don't like the quarter. Now it's coming right back, and I think that stock is a... Bye, bye, bye! Because Tackler made us money. Big in American Tower. I think this one takes out a tie. Let's go to Todd in Massachusetts. Todd. Booyah! Thank you, Jim, for taking my call. Of course. I'm a member here, and I appreciate all that you do. And sure try. passion around math. Thank you. Um, got a, got a two-part multiple-choice question for you. IBM, it's about 6% of my portfolio. Should I sell it or hold no, it? No, no, it's got a 5% it? yield. I like the changes that are being made. There's um, we involved with the shareholder base. I don't know whether it's a growth stock or dividend play. I think it can be both. I want you to hold on to the stock, and thank you for the kind comments. Omar in California. Omar. Booyah, Jim. Hotel Booyah. manager calling from San Diego, recently back to work after months of watching CNBC and playing on Robinhood during furlough. All right. That's good. Good I'm you're back. Glad to be back. Uh, avoided chasing the biggest losers. Went with a mix of blue chips, growth stocks, and a couple vaccine plays instead. Calling about Cigna. It hit 215 on June 8th. And I know, and I think you can go back there. I think Cigna is a very good company. I know the chart is awful. It's hard to pick a bottom. But I do like the stock right here. Uh, I, I think that group is going to do okay. We had the same problem with Centina. A good quarter. Nobody cared. They will eventually. Let's go to Adrian in New York. Adrian. Hey, Jim. How's it going? Oh, it's going well. Thank you for asking. How about you? Good, good. Thanks. Love the show. Thanks for taking the call. Oh, thank so, you. Right to it. What are your thoughts on Slack? Ticker is. I like Slack a lot. I think it's a very, it's a great, it's a great product, and I think it'd be a great stock. The question is, is Microsoft really uh, enveloping them or not? I think that the courts may actually have to decide that. Let's go to Sean in Colorado. Sean. Jim. Sean Hogan in Denver, Colorado. Old to this world, but new to the show. Thanks for having me. I like that. I like that combo. What's going on? So the stock I'm calling about had a surge of about 60,000 calls at the $10 strike price two weeks ago. And while some of that excitement has dissipated, my research shows that over the past year, executives and insiders and other insiders have bought into the stock for an average of about $10.39 per share. I bought it at $9 a share, but it's been struggling to hold that. With so many calls out there, with this being a possible 5G play and with it being super affordable at $10 or under $10 a share, it could attract a lot of retail investors, is Comscope, B-O-M-M. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's a broken stock in an industry that's just on fire. I mean, how, 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 how can you not be on fire? I, 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 I got to stay away from that one. Let's go to Eshawn in New York. Eshawn. Good evening, Mr. Kramer. First of all, I wanted to say booyah. Um, secondly, I wanted to say I'm a big fan of your recent application for Moss. Yes. And 
Thirdly, I wanted to ask about a stock relating to the man's best friend, the dog. I want to ask about Chewy. I think Chewy is the stock you put away. It's, it looks like it's rolling over here, I know. But man's best friend is, and women's best friend is going to continue to be so. I like Chewy. Thank you so much for saying those kind comments about the mask and that. Ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. One bizarre winner from the pandemic, the health insurance industry, which is saving a fortune because so many hospitals have delayed non-urgent procedures that they'd normally need to pay for. But while their businesses have benefited, the stocks are another story. We saw this a couple weeks ago when United Health reported a terrific quarter. Investors shrugged. We saw it again today when Centene delivered some excellent numbers. Stock dropped nearly 5%. Centene is one of my favorite managed care plays, has been for years. They focus on government-sponsored health plans, which means it could be a great Joe Biden stock. The problem, though, is that nobody seems to care about the results just now. Centene posted a nice top and bottom line beetle, and they also cut their full year forecast while leaving the earnings forecast unchanged. We know they're doing well, but Wall Street worries well as say that it's temporary. My view, the stock sells at roughly 11 times extra earnings. Give me a break. It's a steal. Do not take it from me. Let's check in with Michael Nidorf. He's the chairman and CEO of Centene. You get a better read on the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Nidorf, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Good to be here. All right, so, Mother, you said it yourself. You said business is going to be choppy during the pandemic. So explain to people why it is choppy and a little harder to forecast. Well, because, you, you know, the, the way the transmission of the disease is taking place, it's bouncing all around. We said not too long ago that we thought it was going to have a, uh, a, a strong, it was strong in, in April, May. We thought it was going to be some small peaks in the summer, and then maybe another wave potentially um, in November. That didn't happen. Now we have a very strong peak right now. It's probably a continuation of the first one. People have forgotten their masks for a long time. There was social, no social distancing, and it's come back. We can't control how people react to it. We can coach them and tell them, and it's, it's very strong. When it's strong, it impacts earnings. Well, Michael, you used the, the term that we could see, be seeing this well into next year. That's somewhat opposite of the president's timetable of October or Moderna's of October. It, to me, it seems more realistic because you have to give people shots and have them walk around for a couple of months at least before you know what the, the, re- the results might be. We're not going to know how long the vaccine lasts. Everything I'm reading and hearing, how long the antibodies stay in the system, we don't know that. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot to be proven. There's an exuberance on the vaccine, which I understand. and I can have a little bit myself, but there's a lot to be proven. So I'm, I'm being cautious. Now, you do talk, uh, you did have to cut the number of people who are uh, your forecast. But again, that's, a, that's related to this. It's not like the Centene has stopped growing. We're going to be up three and a half million dollars, billion dollars, excuse me over what we gave last March instead of $4 billion, okay? And we always said, we're going to tell you the facts as we see them now. Now, I'm not embarrassed to say I'm only going to be up $3.5 billion, but by the way, I'm not going to reduce the increased guidance we gave you a few weeks ago at our investor day. So, I mean, they, it's, it's all very manageable, but you have to be prepared to recognize what the facts are at a particular point in time. 
Now, you did something pretty bold that we don't see people other than Jeff Bezos try and it failed for, well, kind of worked for him, but not all the way. You opened up a new headquarters, a second headquarters. Why? Well, you know, we uh, unfortunately, the people we need to attract were not attracting in Missouri. And I, I, I said why. And we're working very hard on public safety and things that have occurred here to help them overcome it. But, you know, that part of the world has 120 millenniums a day moving into it. And we need to be in that kind of environment. So it's a good alternative for us. And we'll be able to attract the high tech people we need. All right. So, Michael, I don't know you as a left wing or right wing or Democrat or Republican. So I am going to ask you a question that I that, that Bill Gates posited this morning, which is what the heck is really going on with testing? How can, say, Major League uh, uh, Baseball get everybody get tested constantly, although not enough? And other people get the results back 10 days when it's too late. Is it because there's just LabCorp and, and Quest and we let all these companies merge? Is it because of a backlog at Abbott and Thermo Fisher and Roche? Where is the bottleneck? Well, I think, you know, there are hospitals that are doing it. And if I suspect some of the uh, major league teams have relationships outside of your traditional Quest and LabCorp, those labs, where they're getting it done, where it can get done more quickly. It's a, it's a relationship thing, and that happens in the world we live in, and, and there's a need for it, and they're doing it. I want to see the day, and I know Wash U, I'm, I'm working with, I sit on some committees there. They're, they're developing one that you'll have the response very quickly. It's a saliva test, and uh, I can't wait for it. I would test every employee as they leave and come in in the morning if I could. But the saliva test is at university level. And every time I ask a corporation, they say it can't scale, can't scale. I think that's nonsense, Michael. I think that nobody can make a lot of money on it. I'm sorry to be such an anti-capitalist for a moment, but no one can make a lot of money off the saliva test, so it's not being done. Well, I think I know Washington's working hard to get this one, and it's very scalable. So I'm encouraged by it. There are people working hard to get it done, and I think they will. There's a need. Well, I mean, to me, Centene is, is a powerful organization that would be against the relationships that you talked about. Because when I hear relationships, that means rich people talking to rich people. And that has never been your style. No, no, that, absolutely not. I think everybody's entitled to the same treatment wherever they go. No question about that. I'm only thinking that if you're a major league ball club and you have a given number of people who need to be tested every day, you can probably find somebody that will do it for you because of relationships. And, and, and that's the world we live in. And, you know, it's better maybe that's happening. We're seeing some baseball, even though there's no crowds. You know, it's, it's just the reality, Jim, of what we're looking at. All right. Well, look, I know that you're a beacon of fairness in what I regard as being a, an industry that increasingly I don't think is fair enough. But I'm so glad well, you're, you're doing that new headquarters. You're hiring a new 6,000 people. You can't do better than that. Thank well, you. We hired 3,800 people. Already this year, in the last four or five months, I, what I don't understand is the street and what you alluded to in the opening. I mean, we had a we had a great quarter. It was a great you know, quarter, and, and and the stock's down five percent. Well, good. We'll let people buy it. It's a great opportunity. That's Michael <laughs> Nidorf, Chairman and CEO of Centene, and it is a great buying opportunity. You know, I feel that way. I think this is a a fantastically run company. Man, money's back into the break. Some good numbers after the bell. Starbucks, Kevin Johnson, lays out a strategy 
that I think is a total winner about how he intends to grow in the United States. And then the remarkable Lisa Su, they blow the numbers away at Advanced Micro. Once again, what are they doing? They're moving further and further ahead of Intel in server chips. What a story. And yes, I think that stock is headed much higher. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.